Hey everyone, before the big Hi Guys intro, please may I request of you to subscribe to and rate this podcast as apparently that's really important in the algorithmic world that is podcast land. Once again, please subscribe to and rate this podcast. On with the show. Hi guys and welcome to this episode of How To Wow with the body coach Joe Wicks who could not be any hotter at the moment if he tried because, how does this sound? Joe Wicks MBE for services to the great British public during lockdown. His story, his life story so far, he's only 35, just turned 35, is fascinating. Oh and this episode of How To Wow is brought to you by... Who gives a crap? Toilet tissue suppliers. They say things on their website like, sure, we love puppies and sunny days and walks on the beach, but our real love is toilet paper. Why, you might ask. First of all, it's funny, lots of room for toilet jokes, which we love, but really, we love toilet paper because for us, it's our way of making a difference. We started Who Gives a Crap when we learnt that 2.4 billion people don't have access to toilets at all in the world. Now down to 2 billion. Yay for progress, but that's still 2 billion too many. Roughly 40% of the global population, which also means that around 289,000 children under five die every year from diarrheal diseases caused by poor water and sanitation. That's almost 800 children per day or one child every two minutes. That has to stop. And you can stop it by continuing to crap, but just getting the toilet paper to wipe the crack off your ass from who gives a crap. So all you have to do, go to their website, check them out, get some orders. They're a very morally sound company. Okay, don't tell them we sent you because they haven't paid for this ad. We're just doing this because we can. All right? Good. And this episode is also not brought to you by CBD product producers, grassandco.com. But apparently will be soon. And now, the irrepressible Joe Wicks. Cue the conversation. Joe, are you there? Good morning, mate. How you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm very good. I've just been listening to um, one of your podcasts, actually, Roger Daltrey. That's a great episode. <laughs> I love your prep. It's so cool. You are so comprehensively professional. Tell us what you thought about it. Are we rolling straight away? Are we live yeah, now? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I, no, I haven't, I've got to record my end. Hang on. I need to start recording. Okay. Hang on. Voice memos. I need to turn yeah, thank you on. for the backup. Usually we don't need it, but it's, it is useful. Yeah, just to be safe. Right. Just to be safe, not sorry. Off we go. So what did you think of Roger Daltrey then? Well, I thought it was great. I mean, I, to be, I'll tell you a funny story, actually. I was in the car with my mate, and I thought you were on the radio, and I heard you swearing, and I said, what's he doing? <laughs> I always, Whenever I go on the radio, he says, I can't swear. You were chatting to Rod Stewart. Anyway, so I listened to that episode, and then the next day, I got a message from your team saying, would you like to go on Chris Evans' podcast? So here we are. Right, so it wasn't Roger Daltrey, it was Rod Stewart you heard. No, that was Rod Stewart, and that was a couple of weeks ago. But this, I just started listening to the this morning to the Rod. I'm halfway through it. Yeah, ah, so I what see. a life he's lived, eh? Yeah, well, they all have, and you're living one too yourself. I mean, as far as podcasts are concerned, so, you know, I've often been schooled by you at my own request about new media, as they say, because I'm from sort of old media, you know, radio and telly, and you're youtube in and you're posting videos and you've been doing it for ages but the podcast thing i sort of get maybe because of my radio background i mean you know how how's podcasting for you are you involved in it what's your take on it you know do you do you indulge in it yeah well, it's one of those things i've i've been invited on a few podcasts like i did um i did happy place of fern and i did um russell brand's podcast so my brother nicky's always like you've got to do a podcast and i've kind of left it so late but we actually recently did our own podcast um it was called the Joe Wicks podcast. Right now, Joe, we have developed some kind of bizarre interference on your line. 
Can we redial you, Joe? Sorry, mate. Yeah, okay. Well, you're hanging up, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's yeah. that's much better for some bizarre reason. Don't know why. Uh, hang on, so system preferences. You're good at um, this. He's good, isn't he? You should give lessons in this. Well, I had, to, I had to learn how to do it all when I was doing my podcast. With him, like, right, <laughs> saying... Okay, right, I'm rolling my end. You're Sorry, awesome. Right, off we go. Thank you, Joe. Um, so you've done a bit of this yourself. So who had to, who had what to say about um, which different subjects? Uh, what did you talk to Gordon Ramsay about, for example? So Gordon Ramsay was the first guest, and he's such a big character, isn't he? So I was a little bit nervous, but um, he was talking about, you know, just he spends his time between L.A. and obviously Cornwall, and um, he's very active. You know, he gets out, he does lots of exercise with his kids, he sort of does it with his family, and they do triathlons and endurance events. So, yeah, I think he, one of his things was um, going on bike rides and just swimming. He goes out swimming in the, in the sea. So everyone's got their own thing of just dealing with their kind of stress and anxieties around things. And, yeah, I'm really – I'm proud of it, actually. I'm really, I was a bit nervous about doing a podcast because, like I said, I'm always, a, it's always workout and fitness content. So, to do an like, interview, like people like Louis Theroux, I mean, they're so, you know, they're so like professional what they do. So, for me, I'm, I suppose, because I'm such a, because I didn't know what I was doing, it came across quite natural. Where I was just asking the things that would come into my head. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's done really well, actually. I'm thinking about doing a second series with them. Good for you. So, what did Jamie have to say? What, what's the difference between Jamie and Gordon, would you say? Because they're both chess, but entirely different people. Yeah, well, one of one of the things Jamie likes to do is play music. You know, he's really into. You, you may not know this, but he's actually like a really good drummer. So a lot of the music he created for his latest show. So his his kind of thing is just to kind of yeah, you know, get on the drums, play a bit of music, and that kind of unwinds him. So everyone's everyone's got different things. And I did the um, I interviewed Mark Cavendish, the cyclist, who his thing is when he's on a tour bus, when he's doing the Tour de France and whatnot, he play he builds Lego. So <laughs> everyone has a different way of being mindful. I think Fern was she likes listening to music and drawing, obviously, and that was her kind of release. So yeah, it was. Not, I really enjoyed it. I really found it quite. Um, it was an uplifting podcast where I was basically finding out what each person does. And Tim Peake, for example, you know the man who went to the, you know, up up into space, um, first man to first British man to do a moonwalk, um, not a moonwalk, sorry, a spacewalk. He said, you know, he had this this feeling of perspective. Like he just keeps his life in perspective. And when things feel stressful and overwhelming, he just sort of looks looks down on himself a little bit and sort of maintains a different view on things and that that really helped me so i've taken a lot from actually i've learned a lot from each person that came on yeah now that is really interesting isn't it we've got tim peak on next week how did your podcast do it done really well so it's with bbc sounds and it's something that i've been wanting to do for ages but i just you know i didn't know how to produce it i didn't know how to edit it so we've done it through zoom obviously over lockdown and they um they edited it all really well the team helped me produce it and stuff so yeah they actually just asked me yesterday if we could do a second uh, series which is great news so Hopefully, uh, I can get a little team of, um, well, a good kind of um, amount of guests up for a second series. Cool. All right. Well, let me know if you need any numbers. Because <laughs> I've got loads. Here. Definitely. <laughs> I could become You're your, the man. I could become your booking agent. So um, that's good. Right. Talking of clubs, you're in a very exclusive one yourself now because you've been given an MBE, Joe Wicks. Woohoo! I know. I couldn't believe that. I mean, it's. It's weird to even think that that's been given to me for something, which I think, you know, it's not like I've got an amazing talent. I'm like a, a musician or an amazing actor. Or I've done like, you know, 50 years of art and craft or a certain thing. I've just done my, what I love, which is helping people, you know, and through that time of lockdown when it was, you know, ruling our houses, I was just motivated by the thought of helping people. And it's nice to be awarded for that really and be kind of recognized. But um, yeah, my mum and dad are very proud of me. 
Well, I'm not surprised. Now, can you tell us how that happens? How does one get an MBE? How do you first hear about it? You know, are there whispers about it? Do you think this can't be true? Are you told to be, you know, standing under the town hall clock with a copy of the Daily Express in your hand, you know, wearing a bowler hat and a rose? Well, people actually, um, you know, were, were tweeting me going, oh, Joe Wicks for MBE and all that. But I didn't really know the process. But I think people can nominate you. And I think then it goes through like a panel of, you know, someone will make a decision. I doubt it's the Queen herself. Um, but yeah, it was amazing. I got an email which said, you know, would you like to accept your honours? Um, and obviously I said, yes, it's amazing. So then the next stage was it kind of got released to the press. They had like a big list of the um, the honours list and, and the media obviously was saying, oh, can we interview and whatnot? But I kind of wanted to celebrate that just with the family and not in a kind of, you know, big like, oh, sending a royal correspondent around and having a big thing of it. But no, I was really, I'm really proud of it. It's not something I ever imagined. Like, you know, when I think about my childhood and how I grew up and, you just I just never would have looked at myself and thought, you know, one day you're going to go on to do amazing <laughs> things and you're going to get an MBE. I just wouldn't. I just didn't have that self-belief in myself. It's so cool, though. I read somewhere that you might, you said, and this was a couple of days ago now, that you might celebrate at the weekend with a gin and tonic uh, with your family at home. Oh, I mean, I love my, my, my favourite thing is I collect gins now. So I've got like a little uh, gin collection. So, yeah, I'll have a little gin and tonic. Um, I took my mum out for dinner, actually. I went to um, one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants on, on Friday night and I... My mum, my mum didn't know at this point, so I said, "Oh, what are we celebrating tonight?" And she said, well, it's your, "It was your, you know, we were supposed to be celebrating your birthday, and because it was a late birthday dinner with her." And I said, "No, we're actually something else we're celebrating." And then I told her, and she was like, "You know, burst into tears and was really proud of me." And stuff. So it's nice to share with her. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, so, at which part of the meal did you did you tell her? Well, I told her like just basically just sat down and we got a cocktail, and I said, "Come on, I've got something to tell you." And, yeah, she's just she's so proud of me because, like I said, you know, and, and she was saying that when I was younger, all her friends used to say, you know, you your boys are going to end up on drugs, they're going to end up they're wrong ones, and she she just said she's so proud that like I ended up choosing my own life and taking you know going in my own direction and not down that route, and she just like couldn't believe it. But yeah, it is it is a strange moment to be given an MBE, but I'm, it's nice that like a normal person who's not like you know I, I don't know, just I feel like it, it gives people opportunity that they can one day. Also, you know, if they work hard and do what they love, they could end up getting an MBA as well. It's quite inspiring. No, it's really inspiring, Joe. And you're only 35. Yeah, I'm th- I just turned 35 in September. But what was also nice is she obviously had so many awards for, you know, key workers and NHS staff and, and doctors and people that would never, ever probably be recognised in that respect. And so I like the way that was opened up this year and it gave other people who done amazing things, you know, a chance to also be given like MBEs. They must be over the moon as well. And you also broke a record under lockdown pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, so we would, I mean, I've got to say thank you to you because you helped me, you know, promote it and all these little radio interviews and all these TV appearances. It really amplified the message that I was doing these workouts and, you know, you followed me along through that journey. And on the second day, we had 954,000 live streams, which is like a Guinness World Record for the world's largest streamed live workout, which is incredible. <laughs> it's really incredible. Um, so you're talking there about, about you know, the, the BBC Sounds have called up and they've said, do you want to do a second series of podcasts? You must get so many offers every single day to do so many things. What's it like being you right now? Well, I, may, I mean, I mainly focus on, you know, what I'm good at, which is I love doing my workout content and I'm still filming lots of videos for youtube i'm still doing the you know some live workouts now and again and and then focus on the books and you know that's i I just like just do what i'm good at and do what i'm passionate about obviously there's so many opportunities to do certain things but i am in talks to actually um create like a um 
a documentary type thing, like sort of like my Desert Island Discs um, interview where I talked about my childhood and the link between exercise and mental health. So I'd, I'd like to sort of turn that conversation into a into maybe a BBC documentary or something. So that's something that we're working on at the moment. Would that be a drama documentary or a documentary? Just like a documentary, like a, like like interviewing people and kind of just establishing that link that we all know between exercise and mental health and just trying to inspire people to um, you know move and really take care of themselves with exercise and, and almost like turn to that as the first thing you know when you're struggling. And how is the Joex brand? And forgive me for saying that; it doesn't matter. It's just just a thing. How is it? How is the brand um, exporting across the world? How far how how far away do people know what you do and join in with what you do? It's I mean it's hard to measure exactly, but obviously the P with Joe thing really was like an international thing. I mean before that. I had a lot of people doing my YouTube workouts, but nowhere near, you know, as as, as global with the reach because I'd done a lot of international media as well. I was doing CNN and ESPN and Australian sort of breakfast TV stuff. So definitely got countries that may not have heard about it. But yeah, I mean, I get an average now about six and a half million views a month on my YouTube channel. So that means that before lockdown, I was getting two million views. And after lockdown, with all those families and people that took part, they're now sort of going back and doing old workouts. So it means that their behaviors have changed and they really are getting a lot out of that, which is like, my proudest achievement really i think p with joe i don't think i would have got an mbe without that p with joe stuff i don't think people you know it was what i was doing anyway like i was doing my school visits i was doing all of that work online and trying so hard to get schools and families exercising together but it just accelerated the fact that we had to do something and i was there so it's really it may look like this instant success but it's really you know a four or five year journey i've been on that school's mission for yeah, no, it's it's definitely not. There's no such thing as an overnight success. We both know that. I know a bit better than you, but only because I'm a lot older than you. Um, so four or five years you've been up d- doing what you're doing now and you will continue to grow, I would imagine. Um, what is your relationship? What is your what is it like? Do you work with YouTube or, you know, are they aware of you? Are you are you in their top 10 or top 100 or top 1000? You know, or is it quite a remote relationship? Well, I mean, we do have, you know, there's times when they, they will help, you know, in the early days, like helping you kind of get your channel in order and like giving you advice on kind of, you know, when to post. And they give you like tips. I mean, we do have like a YouTube account manager who's there for us. But most of the content I shoot really is just me at home on my own with my tripod. I film the workouts and I send it to my friend Dom who like updates it and puts the, um, he'll put like the subtitles, not subtitles, he'll put the, um, the timers on and things and then he uploads it to YouTube. So yeah, it's really like you're quite independent with that. You know, you can, that's the great thing about it. And, you know, when the lockdown happened, two or three days into it, someone from Channel 4 contacted me saying, well, you know, we stream the workouts live on Channel 4. And I just was so, I was so inspired by the fact that there's people all over the world doing it, that for me, it was like it had to stay on YouTube. I wanted people in India and South America and Asia to all take part. So I think it was the best thing because that meant people anywhere could take part. It wasn't just one place in the UK. And you know it, it is like because it's like doing podcasts, isn't it? You know, it's a very, it's a very independent thing to do a podcast because it's actually very simple to do. And I think once you know the ropes uh, from a video point of view, it's not dissimilar, you know, in your world, uh, and that's very freeing. Now, you know, I know that people have come in with TV offers, terrestrial TV offers, and things like that, um, which is fantastic on the one hand, but it is a, it is a double edged sword. And it's great to be offered these amazing deals. Don't get me wrong at all, but you know, when I talk to you and when I talk to other people people involved in the podcasting world as opposed to the YouTubing world I get this sort of sense of liberty that they have and they they don't realize the lack of pressure they work 
under because they've never had that. They've never had the the weight of the corporate responsibility or, or, or whatever the environment may be. And that's palpable for me. So, you know, that's a bit that would be a big thing to give up. You know, where, where's your decision tree on that? Well, I mean, I, I, I see value in TV, of course, but I've done a couple of TV shows in the past. Um, it just takes so much effort. There's so many days of filming for like, you know, one hour of TV, whereas with what I'm doing, I can do stuff from home. I can be with my kids and my family just like doing it. And, you know, I love that. I love that I can just create content. And, you know, I'm, I mean, don't forget like 80 million views on those YouTube workouts. That's that's like phenomenal. That's like a Netflix like smash hit, you know. So I don't think I could have done that anywhere else. And so for me, like the best place for my fitness content is on YouTube um, the best place for my food content is on Instagram, but yeah, I'd still love to do, sorry. Um, sorry, I need to, I need to burp. I'd still love to do, you know, like, I'd, I'd, about, um, I'd still love to do a TV show or a documentary, but it has to be something I'm passionate about. I have to be yeah. talking about the things I love. It can't just be, I can't just be on TV for the sake of it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And also there's not more than 24 hours in a day. So for something to start, something has to give, you know, and it seems like you, you know, all, all your bases are full at the moment in a good way, not a bad way. So, so how would you make room for that? How do you sharp elbow something out? Because you know, what's happened to me in the past and happened to other people. And I'm sure it's also already happened to you to a certain extent is the thing that go that, that gives first, you know, that goes first is the thing that's really important, which is usually more time at home. Cause you think, well, yeah, I can catch up with that, but that you've got to be really careful. So, so, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I love being around my kids, you know, and I, even before lockdown, I still, I was always at home because really most of the stuff I do, like if it's cooking or doing my workouts is normally in my home. So I've been lucky that I've got to, you know, have success in my career, but also be really present with the kids. So I, you know, I like to be here for breakfast and I like to be here at dinner time. So for me, fit like long periods of time, I do admire people that do that, but I can't, I, I can't be away from my kids for that long. I, I sort of miss them after a few days. So I think if I do do any kind of TV work, I'd try and make it so that I could take them with me or, you know, it could be like a couple of days here and there, not like two or three week blocks at a time. I think I'd miss them too much and I wouldn't probably enjoy the experience as much. No, I get that. And, you know, why would you? Because what you, what you do is working for you. The, be, the best, the guy who's gone the other way, which is really interesting, is James Martin because James started doing bits and bobs for, for shows I was working on or part of or involved with, um, you know, back in the uh, sort of 90s and early noughties. And then he got had this massive hit on Saturday morning, Saturday kitchen. Then he goes over to ITV and then ITV say he could make his shows from home. And so he sort of has a he has a very YouTube setup, but at home for ITV. So, so that's quite interesting. I mean, you know, is there anybody that that is that exists within your world of YouTube that you th that you look up to and you think they've got it? I mean, I think you've got it right, but what do I know? You know, do you look at other people and think you know that that's where I want to be, that's where I'm heading, that's the perfect model for me. Let's not do that. You know, who, who do you look up to? Who inspires you? Well, I mean, with with YouTube, like, there's so many different categories, and there's obviously like music, and there's fitness, and there's you know like, fashion. There's all there's different categories. You can be like following. Uh, I sometimes come across YouTube channels like 10, 20 million followers and you're like, why haven't I heard of this person? So it's like you're almost, you have your own little bubble within YouTube. But, you know, when you look at like Jamie Oliver doing TV shows and then during lockdown, he like created that show at home with Jules on his iPhone. Like the world's changed, I think, and the way, and the way we produce shows has probably changed. So, you know, you can, even now, like every single interview I've done during this whole lockdown period, um, you know, it's been over Zoom and into studios and I was doing live cooking on um, this morning and loose women and stuff. So, it's just, I can 
basically you can do everything you can do a bit of it you can do a bit of everything and you can do it from your home just just through like the online platform so I'm kind of open to it all but I think if I'm going to do a TV show I'd like I'd rather it be something like you know Netflix Amazon Prime that's got a, like a global reach in yeah. my opinion no I get it I get it because you'd be going backwards not forwards but also what's interesting about what you're doing and also bizarrely what I'm doing and have been doing for forever the radio it's like and I don't mean this in any kind of sort of megalomanic way or maybe I do I really don't mean to it's like the it's like the world's coming to us from needing to be entertained because you 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 know what you do you can still do you You've not really had to change things. You know, what I do, I can still do. And then people like Jamie, a deacon, you know, Jamie's got a big, you know about Jamie, Jamie's, Jamie's whole um, setup is huge and he's fantastic. I love Jamie Oliver, but he must have been thinking, hang on a minute, this, this is the way forward. You know, no need for pantechnicans, no need for passports, no need for flight cases, no need for lighting, no need for brakes, no need for mass catering trucks. This is the way to do it. You know, make it simpler. And what happens then is, you know, not so much the, the sort of ne'er-do-wells and, and the, the chances getting found out, but the cream rises to the top. And it's the same when MTV unplugged Eric Clapton, you know, back in the 90s. And it's, they said, right, well, you know, let, let's unplug, let's go acoustic and let's see who's got it. And some of those albums sold more, those MTV unplugged albums sold more for those artists than they'd sold records in their whole career. So you've got that really? going You've got that going on, haven't you? Yeah, I love all that MTV unplugged stuff. Yeah, it's just, I think, you know, we don't know how long this is going on for, so I think, big productions and big TV shows and, and anything like with lots of people around probably isn't going to happen for a while. So people have got to adapt and just do what they can and yeah, produce content. Um, and you know, I think podcasts like my, my brother used to say, you know, you've got to get on and I'd be like, no, it's too late. Everyone's doing podcasts. But the truth is now people are like, you know, they're consuming podcasts more than ever. So audio is such a great place to be because what I've realized when I listen to podcasts, I'm not distracted. Like I might be going for a walk or I might be doing a workout, but I'm focusing on the, on the conversation. Whereas Sometimes you'll be watching TV and you have your phone out and you'll be distracted. Whereas I think when you do get a good audio podcast listener, they're really like engaged in what you're talking about. So it's a really good chance for people to get to know you in a, in a more in-depth conversation, I think. Just take me back to, if you don't mind, if you can remember, the first thing on YouTube you ever saw and the first thing on YouTube you ever did. Well, the first thing I ever saw would have been like one of those silly like... Um, Charlie bit my finger or like, you know, you know, one of those viral videos that was around. But I think, I think the first time I posted a video was in 2000 and it was in 2011. I posted my first workout video. I was on my terrace in, in Surbiton. Uh, I lived in a flat and we had this like outdoor terrace that we shared and I just put the camera there and I set it up and, um, yeah, I just thought I'm going to share a video and I did it and really like awkward and nervous and kind of shy. And then, you know, that was like the start of it. But I, I always think like, if I hadn't done that and if I hadn't, you know, built that channel, millions of people may not have exercised because of me and millions of people might not have been as, you know, happy or as, as fit and healthy as, as that. So it's just like, it's just, it's just really, it really inspired me that anyone could take part and it was free. I don't use much equipment. So I've, I really believe that my YouTube channel is like the home of home workouts where anyone can go at any time to, you know, feel good. And if it's 15 minutes or 25 minutes, like it's a really kind of achievable amount of time. And, yeah, like like I said, six and a half million people a month around the world are doing my workouts, which when I think about in the early days, my boot camp, like no one would turn up. No one watched my first videos, but I just kept going. I just believed in myself. Joe, this is real gold, if you don't mind. Let's drill down into this because tell us about the morning, if you can remember. 
when you, you filmed that first YouTube video, because it changed your life. I mean, you know, being born changes all our lives because we come, we, you know, we have life in the first place anyway. So you can say that about anything, but this is particularly pivotal. So, you know, was it the weekend? What were you thinking? Was it raining? How unsure sure were you? How, how many times before you did it had you thought about doing it? How close had you been to doing it? Just, just tell us more about that because people will be listening to this, you know, on the verge of having a go at something. You know, and there's that great phrase, you know, there's no such time as the perfect time, you know, in the present, but it might turn out to be the perfect time when you look back at it from the future. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. And it was just, so when I did that video, it was like, you know, I was just really nervous, it's really unnatural to like stand in front of a camera and, and do an exercise video. Cause I've been doing boot camps and personal training, but I, you know, I gave it a go and it, it's, it's had like, it's had like, I don't know, seven or eight million views now. It's, it's one of my most popular videos, but I didn't really know who was going to watch it. I, you know, I had no subscribers, but like anything, when I po posted my first Instagram lean in 15 video, I was really like quiet and nervous and awkward and shy. But as I got more confident and more, you know, more kind of passionate about it, then it shone through and my videos, you know, got more views and followers and that launched obviously my publishing career essentially. And the YouTube thing, I've, I've obviously, I've done like the food and the fitness. Not Most people do one or the other. They do like just, just cooking and nutrition or they do fitness, but I've been, fortunate enough to kind of inspire people in both but yeah the youtube thing for me it's it's the most powerful platform for reaching people who don't have expensive equipment they can't afford a gym you know it's it's home workouts that you can do in a tiny little living room and i've wherever i go in the world i always take my camera so i could be in south america i could be in new york or la or vancouver wherever i am i always take my camera and i just go right i'm going to do a workout in front of niagara falls or the golden gate bridge and so my channel is kind of full up of all these like journeys i've been on um, and that was it. It was one video a week and I built it. And, you know, nine years later, I got two and a half million subscribers, but it took a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I get that completely. And um, when you uh, first did it and you were nervous, which is completely um, expected, um, did you did you get them? Did you then become more confident because of the likes, because of the feedback you're getting? Because there's a lot of controversy about you know the, the like button, you know, on all social media because it can cause so many problems. And I don't really want to get into that, but of course, it, you know, in the beginning when it wasn't so, so much uh, polluted or contaminated or even abused, I would go as far as to say, you know, did you get this reaction? You, the feedback you were getting, thinking this is working, did that? Was it that that made you more confident? Was it your own ability? Um, you know, what was it? What what stopped the nerve? and when did the your inner voice start to take over and that's the best voice of all because then you just go you do whatever it tells you to do as opposed to thinking what does it want me to do yeah I've always had a positive voice I've always had a cheerleader like when it when it, when it goes back to even like my personal training and boot camp days people wouldn't turn up I never thought give up and go and work at David Lloyd I just thought go go flyer and go and meet some people in the community like build it up you you know because I wanted to be independent I wanted to be my own boss and I wanted to work for myself and the same thing happened with YouTube. When I posted the first video, nothing, not a lot happened. You know, it's like no one subscribed or, or liking. But when I started to see that people were commenting, oh, I love this workout, it's great, and I really feel good, that's the, I need to feel impact. So for me, the views and the likes aren't, and even the MBE, like, it, it's just, it's just, it's not what motivates me. What motivates me is like seeing like tweets or seeing DMs and videos from families exercising together or when people come up to me and say, you know, thank you for doing the lockdown workouts. So like you really, got us through it like that that connection that that's what i'm good at my skill in life my ability to connect and inspire people that that's what i'm passionate about that's what i'm i'm good at so i just kept thinking about that i kept thinking someone somewhere will be doing this work even if it's one person um and as long as one person's doing it or one person's cooking a recipe today then it's worth doing and it's worth keeping to keeping it up 
So it was the reflective joy, because I think joy is really important. I think when you see joy, when you hear joy, whether it's at a pop concert or, or through your kid's eyes or skipping along the street on your own, because it just happens to be a great day. You know, joy is, joy is priceless and entirely infectious. So was it the joy from seeing the families, you know, working out to your videos and seeing and, and, and feeling the joy in the tweets of the reaction to, to how you'd inspire people? Was it that? Because joy is like rocket fuel, isn't it? Hundred percent, yeah. That's you know, it's it's what it's what completely like motivates me, energizes me, and it's my purpose. You know, I realized pretty soon on that my purpose and my mission was to, like inspire and help people. And when I realized that's what I was good at, I just put all my energy, all my love into it. And you know, like I'm 35 now, and I I'm still I'm still doing three or four workouts today. My body's tired. Like I'm aching. And someone said to me like, <laughs> "Why do you keep doing it? Why don't you just like you know chill out on the exercise stuff and just focus on your books?" And I still feel like I want to be there for people, and and I feel like I've just started, and I've just you know i've got so many more people to help so i'm I'm driven you know it there comes a point where like you're not driven by money it can't be the motivator because when i'm tired and my hips hurt and i don't want to exercise money's not going to get me doing that workout but when i know that like a million people might do that video and a million kids might take part whatever it may be like that that truly motivates me it's the only thing left that keeps me going really what a fantastic answer, right? What's really interesting about that is everything. Uh, and uh, here's one bit that I want to uh, drill down into. Joe Wicks' body hurts. That makes me feel so much better, Joe, at the age of 54. Um, sorry, but which bits hurt most? <laughs> oh, it's the hips. And, I mean, I've got like, because I do so many squats and lunges and, yep. you know, press-ups and squat jumps. I'm just like, I've got this, always got this tension in my hips. So I'm, I'm stretching a lot, but because I do like, I'm doing like, I don't know, four or five, videos a day sometimes um because i'm also working on an app so I'm, I'm building a fitness app where like all the workouts can be found so i've obviously gonna have my youtube channel for always but it's like loads more content so yeah i'm i'm aching and even during PWG, there's days where i got up and was like, i'm really not in move this but when i stepped in front of that camera at 9 a.m i had to perform and i had to be this inspiration i just wanted to make people smile and laugh and i was bouncing around and you know, I, I did what I did, but there was times where like, it was difficult. You know, emotionally, I was drained by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, imagine me and Mick Jagger when you're not in the mood. I know. I always think that. When I when I do, when do I was doing PWG, I was thinking, imagine being a musician or someone on the road and you're away from your family and you're doing a tour and you've got to step on and like, give that audience <laughs> the most incredible night of their life. Like, it is an amazing ability. That, you know, they do it for like 100 days in a row as well, I don't know, they? Like, I know. Ed Sheeran and people like that. 100 years with the Rolling Stones in a row, um, you know, but people love them. And, the, you know, once again, it's about joy. You know, if you, if you always bear in mind the fact that you're spreading joy, it gives you the joys to spread again. They all say that, don't they? Because they say, you know, you, can't, you can only get it if you give it, but you don't get it back. You just get more of the same to give again, which I love. And, um, yeah, I do agree on that. I think that's fantastic. All right, so you are unbelievably successful at what you're doing now. Um, and let's hope it stays that way and gets even better. And I can't see why it wouldn't, but never say never. Touch all the wood in the room and the bit that my head's made of. But let's go back to the thing you've mentioned a couple of times now, uh, which is your boot camp and your personal training, which didn't work out for you. Right, so... Um, what do you think? What do you think was missing from them? Because there have been, there are successful personal trainers, and there are very successful boot camp coaches, right? And you are brilliant at what you do, which is physical fitness. So, what didn't you have that those people have? Do you think? Well, no, it was just in, no, it was just more of the startup phase. You know, like when you when you when you come out of you know uni and you've got your degree, or you go and do a, you know personal training qualification, you've got a choice. You can either go and work for a gym and get employed as a fitness instructor, and you know you pay like a rent or they take a commission, but I just went on my own. I was like, I want to be my own boss. I want to run my own boot camp. I want to train clients at their homes and in the park and just be independent. So 
I did that, but I didn't have any money. I didn't, I couldn't do any marketing. You know, I didn't have a van. So I, I, I had a mountain bike and I had a trailer that I clipped onto the back of it with my kettlebells and my, you know, dumbbells and my boxing pads. And I would cycle from Surbiton over to Richmond um, for 6 a.m. in the morning and then 7.30 p.m. so that I could do like an evening and a morning boot camp. And when I got there, you know, like anything, sometimes there'd be nobody there because I, I didn't have like webs. I had a website, but I didn't have any um, marketing or any kind of online promotion. But all I had were these flyers. So I would go and stand outside the station and relentlessly at, during rush hour. And that for me was the hardest thing. So I was so embarrassed about it, so shy and so like I didn't want to be doing it. I didn't want to be standing there in the rain trying to, you know, annoy communities with, with, a, with a flyer. But in the end, I thought this is all I can do. This is the only option I've got. And I, I did build a boot camp. I had a, I had a really great business. I, you know, I had, a mate, I had a great living out of it. I was doing I had two locations. And I gave a friend of mine a franchise who had one in Cobham. And so I earned a good living out of it, but it wasn't for me. I needed to reach more people. And I realized that I didn't want to be standing in a park at 6 a.m. for my whole life. So that's when I started sharing stuff on social media, media with, a, with a bigger aim of reaching more people. See, that's a mystery cleared up for me. So because you do talk about it a lot. So the boot camps, they just weren't successful at the beginning, but they did become successful because I thought, hang on a minute, who wouldn't want to go to Joe Wicks's boot camp, even if you didn't know who he was, because you're so good at it. So eventually that did come good. So, so, to what extent as a business would you say that? What, what level were you at? I mean, it was great. Like when you're a personal trainer, obviously your income's up and down because you could have clients that, you know, book 10 sessions and then they're gone. And then it's like, you know, it's all up and down. But the great thing about the boot camp was it was a, it was a direct debit business. So people would pay like 50 pounds a month and they could come to as many sessions they wanted. But if, so if nobody turned up on certain days, um, you know, it wasn't the end of the world because they were still paying, it's like a gym membership, you know, still pay their fees. So I had a, I had a great little business Like I was doing really well and I, I loved it. And I had, you know, say I was doing like maybe 20 hours of, um, personal training a week and then maybe 15 hours of boot camp. So like, I was flat out. But the thing is when you're a busy personal trainer, you get to a tipping point where you're just so busy. You have no more free time you hit a ceiling because they want to do morning and they want to do evening and weekend. So it's quite antisocial. You know, when you want to be with your friends, people want to be booking you for personal training sessions. Yeah, no, so they also don't think a proper business should be able to exist when the guy who founded it isn't no longer there, you know, whether it's like temporarily or permanently. And that's different when you have, it's like it's like doing a radio show. <laughs> You've got to be there. Believe me, getting up at 3.30 every morning, I know this, Joe. Um, so, wow, 3.30, you get up in the morning. <laughs> every, no, but I love it. I absolutely love it. It's honestly, I got up this morning again, and there's loads of stuff going on. Some days are better than others. But, you know, getting up to do my radio show, going downstairs, making a cup of tea, having a cold Wim Hof shower, doing a bit of breathing, getting in the car and driving in from, from Marlow to central London. I, I am never happier. Well, I am. I'm happy when I get home to my family, but that's, that, that's, it doesn't get any better than that for me. Well, it might do a bit, but, you know, that's, that's 100% every day, always good. You know, when you started your career in media, did you ever have a break where you didn't do it? Or have you just always been on that, you know, working since the day you started? Or have you ever had time off? Well, I started as a paper boy. So, you know, um, I, I've always worked. I loved it. You know, school bored me. I'll be quite honest with you. So I always earned living, you know, I always earned some pounds instead of, you know, I earned pounds instead of getting pennies pocket money from my mum because my dad was no longer uh, alive. And so I, I fell in love with the work ethic. I just always loved work. I found it very exciting. You know, I love the relationship of service, you know, both in the news agents and then, you know, um, I got a job at a radio station uh, when I was 17, 18 years old. And then I worked constantly until um, the end of TFI Friday when I was, about what would I have been, uh, 97, 2000, so about uh, 34, 35, and then I knocked it on the head for four or five years. I bought a farm. 
and I disappeared and I started digging holes. Oh, really? Yeah. So I did have a break, but I had a break after I'd, I'd, I'd done what I wanted to do. And, and by the way, you know, things way beyond my imagination. But it was that thing, in, you know, and, and you get back to it and you fall back in love with it. And it's funny because you've, you've done it really quickly because you said straight away um, a few minutes ago, you know, it's not about the money, you know, because, you know, you must be earning a fair few quid now. But it's about, I remember it's about, you know, the money's not going to motivate me in the end, you know. And it never did me in the beginning because I lo- always loved radio. And I've always loved being creative and hanging out with people. Um, and, and now yeah, that's, that, yeah, that. that's where I'm back. And, I, you know, it, feel, it feels good to me. But I love the business side of it because, you know, I think, I think a lot of performers, you know, a lot of people in show business who end up being very good in front of the camera, in front of the microphone or whatever it may be. You know, they tend to be they tend to have a drive about them. that is a parallel drive and it's a it's a drive to to escape something or somewhere or, you know, to, to have some money. You know, we just didn't have any money as, as a family. You know, I, I didn't ever feel poor. I talked to talked to. To Roger Dodge about this, he did never feel poor. But you look back, you think we probably were actually, you know. And and it's nice to have a few quid, and then also do something that you never considered to be work. And but then again, I never considered work to be work because I just I've been blessed with love. I've I just have the work gene, and it sounds like you have a similar similar thing inside you. Yeah, I do. I just I just feel like you know when when I get to, I just feel like I've got this. Um, ability to reach people and connect and I feel like you know why not why not keep doing it so I don't I've got no intention of retiring I actually feel like I've just started and you know with the whole schools thing and the PE I want to I want to I want to create a legacy that you know when I'm gone the body coach brand and you know the the workouts and the YouTube and you know if I can have a team around me that can continue that so that when I'm gone it doesn't just like fizzle out and that people are still using that to get fit and healthy you know in the long run that'll be my dream really I love the fact you're already uttering the phrase when I'm gone you're 35 stop it Joe I'm 54 Um. no I mean when I like you know I'm injured and I'm fat and bald and I'm you're never going to be fat workouts anymore I've got got a path to talk to to someone else when you were when you were giving out those personal training sessions or doing the personal training sessions um, when you met some uh, particular clients who were less motivated than others shall we say um were there any tricks you used that people could, could sort of use on themselves now? Or did you have to have willing clients? Was that like one of your rules? Because I know that is some rules for some personal trainers. And other personal trainers are happy to talk for 60 minutes to whoever their client may be. I just was such an active trainer. I, I remember, you know, if you came and trained with me, like I wouldn't stand there and count and make you run up and down the field. I'd be with you like every single time. I'd be squatting with you. Because I, I remember just thinking when I did that, they they sort of put in more effort and They'd, they'd feel like I was in the session with them. So I really trained with you rather than like trained you. And that, that was something that, you know, I, I was, I was good at it because I, I made people like, you know, push that a little bit harder. But when it came to nutrition, people still, you know, would go home and they wouldn't really take my advice. And so that was the hardest thing. But when I released my online fitness plan, you know, with the, the 90 day plan where you sign up and get your meal plan, that's when I really started to transform people because they're the ones that, you know, they invest in it, they commit, they give it 90 days. And, it's only when you really look at your nutrition and change things up that you can sort of transform your body. So I've had more success with my online plan than with like clients in the real world because people still wanted to drink their wine and have their cheese at night and have a takeaway <laughs> on a weekend. And it was hard to comp them. How many times you train them a week, you could never combat that, you know? Yeah, so you, you can't out-train a bad diet, can you? No, exactly. Yeah, that's, it's so true. It's so true. And by the way, you know, when I was going to gyms a lot in the in the nineties and the noughties, you know, I, I never, I've never had a personal trainer. I just, it, just because I like my own space and I just want it to be, you know, for me, it's it's just a moment away. I love people. I love being 
around people, but not necessarily with someone in the gym. So I love I love the sort of community of it without, you know, the close relationship of a personal trainer. But I completely get why other people enjoy it, need it or whatever. Uh, but I remember at the time there was no it was there was never a sort of nutrition backup. And, it, you know, now you say it, it's obvious. Do you think there was a tipping point with that, you know, as far as you were concerned or the world's concerned? Because now we all know how important that is. I think yeah, like when you when I was training as a you know personal trainer, you sort of do a really small module on nutrition, but it's not really in depth, and it's not something that kind of you're pushed into. It's more like just train people and hope for the best. But yeah, I think now with social media and a lot more, you know, science and research into nutrition, we now know that you know food does affect us differently, and you know we do need to kind of see each person as an individual, and not one diet might work for you, but it might not be the same for me. And so yeah, that's definitely something that's come over time with conversations around you know dieting and fat loss and what the best methods are but ultimately it's just it always comes down to consistency like can you can you consistently train and eat healthy for like months on end if you can do that everyone will get leaner and stronger but it's just that thing of too much temptation there's too many emotional triggers around food and we get stressed and we turn to you know junk food and alcohol and stuff so it's just it's a hard it's hard to battle against those things really with with what's going on as well i think people are struggling a bit more now no, I'm with you all the way. And so you talked about the 90, 90 day change there, because that was a change. And then there's a transition. And now uh, we're talking about a 30 day kickstart book, aren't we? So that's where we are now for 2020. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've done this is my 10th. Uh, no, my yeah, this is going to be my 10th book, which is mad. Um, so I've got <laughs> a book now, because basically, I believe that most people are motivated in the first 30 days. So they need that little kickstart, you know, just give me a plan to follow that. What should I, what eat, what should I eat? What should I, how should I exercise? So although I believe in a long-term approach, people, you know, don't want to hear that. They just want to know like, what can I, how can I get in shape in the next 30 days? So the book really focuses on, you know, the, the mental health benefits of exercise. So rather than talking about fat loss and weight and how much you're going to lose during this 30 days, it's talking about how much better you're going to sleep, how much happier you're going to feel, how much your, you know, your body's going to digest food and you're going to, start to feel more energized and happier and all these things that are associated with like a healthy diet. So yeah, it's really a kickstart to like get you off your sofa in the kitchen cooking and feeling like really, really good at the end of it so that you continue it throughout the year. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, having done some just reading over the last years myself and changed my diet, we went plant-based this year. Before that, we were going much more vegetarian, but now we're sort of 100% vegan. Um, started running marathons a few years ago. Uh, so much fitter than I've probably ever been since I was at school, at least, if not more so. Uh, but, you know, reading about... The things that get you going. Motivation is fantastic, but it literally falls off a cliff, doesn't it? Which is why so many people join the gym in January, and, that, and that's the thing. So, so motivation is great, but you know, once it appears, it's like herding cats trying to keep hold of it. Yeah. Well, the key is, I always say to people, like, motivation comes from action. You, you're not going to wake up feeling like super inspired and motivated every day, but when you, when you do the exercise, whether it's a run or you know, go for a, a hit workout, or you just going for a walk with your dog, but that's still exercise, right? You feel good at the end of it. The, the endorphins, the mental health um, benefits come at the end. So it's almost just reminding yourself about that. That's why I say if you can shift your focus from being about body image and fat loss and weighing yourself to like actually being about how you're going to feel after you work out, that's what's going to motivate you. That's what gets me doing a hit session in, in, in the winter. That's what gets me exercising all through the year because I know I'm better for it. I'm, I'm a happier person when I do it. Yeah, and it's funny because the relationship I've always had with gyms is the fact that, and I realised it over a few years, and I might be wrong, and you're the man to tell me, no doubt about that, is the fact that 
with gyms, there was there was no byproduct. So the, the, the product of going to the gym was getting fitter and or maybe losing weight. And there was some serotonin and some dopamine hits, but not really that much. But for example, you know, um, in Japan, by the way, where there's no word for retirement, they don't have a word for retirement because they don't think it's a sensible thing to do. But um, the one thing that all the super centenarians have in common in Japan in o- on the island of Okinawa, and super centenarians are people over 110, not over 100, is the fact that they all garden. And the great thing about gardening is, you know, th- th- there's two byproducts. It depends which one you do. So if you garden, the byproduct is keeping fit. And if you want to keep fit, the byproduct is you have a lovely garden. And when you go to the gym, there is a byproduct actually, and it's, but it's only guilt because you go to the gym and the second you've been to the gym, you start to unravel the good work you've done. And that's what you've got to change. That's what you've got to, you've got to overcome, isn't it? And that's where, that's where you've got to, that's why HIIT workouts are so different to other workouts because they fire up this sort of fireworks display of your biochemistry and all that's good for you. And, you know, and it's a different high, isn't it? That's a proper high on your own supply. I think, yeah, I, I believe the harder you train, like the, the greater intensity of a workout, you know, the greater you feel like in terms of the, you know, the serotonin and the dopamine, you just get that buzz. And some people don't have that in their DNA. They're not into that and they never will. So don't feel like you have to do hit in order to stay healthy because, you know, like like I said, going for a walk around the park or going for a bike ride with your kids, like that's still movement. It's still exercise. So, and I do believe that also getting outside in nature is another element of, of mental health that we also need. We're so you know, attached to our screens and, and kind of confined that we don't often get enough fresh air and nature. So stepping outside and getting some of that is also has massive benefits on your mood and your mental health. Yeah, and where IT is concerned, often the more our, our mind is stimulated, so the more our mind, um, you know, is addicted to, to going quicker, the less it notices that our body might be going slower or not moving at all. And that's the thing. Yeah, are you into like meditation? You are you quite spiritual? You do the Wim Hof stuff, you said, but do you do anything like meditation or anything? Yeah, I meditate every day. You know, I come into work, I stop halfway on my commute to work. I either run in or cycling, and I stop opposite St Paul's, and I do a couple of minutes of gratitude, a couple of minutes of where where do I want to be, a couple of minutes of you know make sure that you connect with everyone. When I talk to people now, I, I'm trying to feel present for you so you can sense it because you're not here. If you were here, I'd be looking into your eyes. I've only started doing that recently, really looking people in the eye, and it. You, there is a connection with them. The short answer is yes, actually, Joe. Oh, I'm glad you did. Yeah, because I just I recently got into it as well, and it's definitely it's definitely helped me in so many ways because I've got such a busy mind. And to do I do like guided meditation on um, Headspace or Calm, and it it just like just slows you down, doesn't it? It's really <laughs> helped me. And I think people out there listening who are who are really stressed or anxious, like it could really it feels a bit wishy-washy when you get into it you really start to get a lot from it i think it's brilliant it is brilliant it's such a tough sell though because you know you said wishy-washy and i i'll say woo-woo we always feel like we have to excuse it within what we're saying because you cannot you know if somebody's in front of you you start talking about it unless they ask you about it which is different because if somebody asks you about something it's because they because they want to know or they're they're already on board that particular bus but if you start talking about it and if you say the word meditation often people's eyes glaze over and you think okay and but you think i don't even know why i'm having this conversation I'm not a salesman. I don't want to sell it to you. I just know it works. What, what do you think we could do to, to spread the message without them knowing, Joe? It's almost like, yeah, when you when you experience like the benefits that you want to tell people because you know it's going to help them yeah. as well. But, yeah, people have to kind of find it themselves. I was, I, my dad's been doing uh, Buddhist, medicine, Buddhist meditation. My brother and Nikki's been doing it for years. And they're like, you should really give it a go. You're going to need it. But it's actually, I did Russell Brand's podcast and he says, Joe, you sound like a man who needs to meditate. Like, give it a go. And he sent me a link and... I did it and that was it. So I've got to thank Russell for that because I just needed someone else to say it wasn't my mum or my dad or my brother telling me. And 
it just um it opened up my mind as to like the, the, the feeling of being present and i've I've got a lot better with my um, devices now that I'm having out. So in the morning when I wake up, I don't look at my phone. I don't take it to bed now. And in between the hours of sort of 5 and 7.30 p.m. with the kids, I leave my phone either like in, in the car or outside so that I can be really present for like dinner and bath and bedtime. And that's amazing, just giving them 100% of my attention. Because before I'm so like, it's just out of habit. You know, I check it. I quickly, you know, check WhatsApp, what's going on, what's going on Instagram. And so I'm giving myself hours back. And I actually was going to ask you because I, I heard you on the Roger Dolch podcast saying you don't have a phone. Is that true? You don't have a phone at all? No, I gave it up um, January 2019. That's amazing. How how do you live without it? <laughs> how do you live with it is my retort to that. That's my new smart answer. Uh, because what's interesting to hear you talk about your phone, and this is what I'm hearing so much more nowadays, only in the last like two or three months, funny enough, you know, people saying screen time this, screen time that, you know, I limit my screen time, kids screen time. But that to me, and by the way, well done, because any you know anything is better than nothing as always, especially exercise or nutrition and, and now what you're talking about to do with IT and your phone and your screens. But that's to me, who's because I've not had it. And by the way, I'm completely in the smug zone here, so don't worry about what I'm going to say. But for somebody who's not had a phone at all for nearly two years now, at all, right, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but that still sounds to me like, for example, an alcoholic saying, yeah, well, I only drink in the afternoons, you know, you're either addicted to it yeah. or you're not. And the thing about not having a phone for a couple of hours, and by the way, of course that will help you to be more present for your kids, and of course that's really important, is the fact that you know at half seven you're going to get it again. And don't tell me that that's not in your mind. And also, say you give it up at between, let's say between five and 7.30, so you give it up at five, but you have the, the whatever's happened, you have the sort of uh, the, the epilogue to to what's just happened in your mind after you turn it off. So that's got to settle. So that's that's five or ten minutes out of your two and a half hours, still mentally, you know. And then things are still stewing and still percolating on the back burner because it's always there. And then, you know, at about sort of 7.05, 7.10, you're building up to the fact you're going to turn it on again and then you're going to get the backlog of messages and what's happened on your phone whilst you've not been on the screen, you know, whilst you've been denying yourself screen time. And so so I get it and I applaud you for it and I, I really, really do applaud you for it. But I I still think it's a bit strange because all my mates are saying the same thing to me. I've turned my phone black and white. I don't have it on at the weekends. Yeah, but if you're an alcoholic, they'd be saying, you've got a real problem here because you're trying to excuse your addiction. Yeah, it is a difficult one, especially when my success is so linked to social media and yeah. like the device and you know YouTube and Instagram is constant. But I, I watched that Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix <laughs> and it completely like buckled me. I was so I was so rattled by it, by just by, by how much I consume and I really acknowledged it. So yeah, like I'm I'm having I'm having a much better relationship with my phone now. Like I'm just not picking up every ten minutes, and but it is something. Yeah, we're all doing, and even if you're not running a business, like people are still doing it. So yeah, it's helped me. Meditating's helped, and also you know having those hours where I take taking it to bed is the worst thing you can do because I picked it up in the middle of the night. I'd be texting and DMing people. So for me, like leaving out the room, that is a huge benefit for me. Yeah, and what happens there is, um, what's the opposite chemical of melatonin? Um, the the adrenaline, uh, what's it called? Can't remember. Cortisol. Cortisol. No, um, yeah, cortisol. No, cortisol, cortisol is it. Or adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is when you when you pick up your phone in in the night and you engage with it, even the thought of picking it up, it fires cortisol, and cortisol keeps you awake. That's what happens. And you know, if you become can become aware or present enough, you know, when it's happening, you can feel it happen. You know, and I remember because I still have a laptop because I still have to watch films and things like that. 
um, for, for, for the show. You know, and I do have an email, but five, my five best friends have my, my email and four people at work, and that's it. And I'm hardly ever on it because everybody, everybody knows that I don't really want to sort of uh, correspond at that time of night. But the court, your cortisol levels are fired up every time you pick up your phone and your melatonin, which helps you go to sleep, is, to, is told to, you know, go away and, and come back come back another day. So you'll know all this. But the, the thing I was thinking then is you said, um, you know, the thing about my job is, um, you know, I, a lot of my job is to do with my phone. Yeah, but that's like me saying, well, I, I think I need to take the radio station home with me every day. But I don't want to leave the radio station at the radio station. Do you know what I mean? I think it's amazing. I do. I think it's amazing that you've got such a successful career and like the the way you live in the media, but you don't have a phone. Like I, I can't even imagine like getting to meetings and stuff or like <laughs> just not. I don't know. Just talking to my wife and I'm out. I don't know. It's just amazing, really. But yeah, fair play. It's inspiring for sure. No, well, yeah, and I don't mean to bang on about it, but I'll tell you what. This is this is funny, and I because it's got everything's got to be funny for people for it to hit because it does or for it to land. Otherwise, people just turn off. Because pa- passion's all right to engage, but it doesn't sell in the end. It just it just makes people glaze over. But the fir- for the first six weeks, I was really, I mean, you know, I've been unpopular before, believe me, but I was really unpopular with people who, who didn't want me to give up my phone because, because it, they felt like it was a slight on them. You know, my mates, my, my wife had a massive issue with it. She said, but obviously you're going to keep, you, there's going to be a new one and I, I'm going to have the number. I said, no, no, because we either give it up or we don't give it up. So it's funny. Because once you get over it yourself, and I think you probably will, I think you, I think you'll, I think you'll come in my way, Joe Wicks. Um, then, yeah, I'm, I reckon one day. <laughs> but then you get the backlash of all the people around you. You know, who, they become offended because they think they think you don't want to talk to them. They don't realise you want to get your own headspace back. Were you addicted? And what made you get off it? Why did you set? Why? Because that's a big decision. Like, what made you do that? Well, because I did, I did the, I did the back timing thing. We did this in radio a lot, so you know we do, you know, about this a bit. But um, you know, when we want to, when we've got a three-hour show to fill, you know, we st- we don't start at the beginning, we start at the end, and we work backwards. So we we do what's called back timing. And so what I did was over the Christmas of 2018, 2019, I did this audit of my time, and I just didn't have enough time to live the life I wanted to lead to to live. But also, again, it's a Japanese thing is the more you do things, the more you do things with attention, the more you are present when you do things, the longer they take and the more lost you get in the time that's taking. And the more you stop waiting for the next moment, which is when boredom creeps in or agitation or the need for a drink or a cigarette or whatever it may be, um, or to or look at your phone, because that's, you know, every 90 minutes the circadian rhythm kicks in and that's when people famously always nipped out for a fag that's a that's a thing that's a biochemical thing you know or they'd make a cup of tea or they'd make a phone call or they'd read the paper or i don't know they'd nip off to the loo in the office you know that the circadian rhythm is every 90 minutes and every 90 minutes we get this thing you know and we have to get this sort of lull in energy and people who are really clever realize this and don't bother doing anything for a while and actually you can shut your eyes and go to sleep for 60 seconds and you wake up and you feel absolutely brand new it's like that's how a lot of ultra athletes sort of get through uh, their day but i was going i was going through this audit and thinking you know what are the most important things in my life okay and there were like 12 but then within that 12 there were like three and I thought if I do those three things properly I haven't got time for anything else so the micro decisions around me changing the other nine things and by the way behind which there were another 90 was was would have taken me forever the macro decision the single biggest decision I thought could change my life was to get rid of of the way that people can knock on my door, and that was with my phone. And by getting rid of the phone, it just got rid of a load of, that chain of reaction of micro decisions that I have to make, 
that I'd probably get lost on the way of, or, you know, you think I've made five, you know, I need to make 10, but I've made five. That'll do. But they don't work. I, bet it, feels am- I bet it feels amazing. Yeah. I just, I can, it must just feel amazing to that. I bet it's such a nice freeing <laughs> feeling to that no one could just contact you. And you I mean, said. I did that when I went, to, I went on my honeymoon. I, um, I left my phone in the hotel safe and I like, didn't have it. And it was lovely. Like just to not be contactable for like five days, whatever it was. It was well, yeah, nice, I mean, man. Well, I'm working towards okay, it. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, Let's go back to when you were a teacher. Cause so you left school, um, college, teaching assistant, uh, gym uh, assistant, personal trainer, boot camp coach. Is that right? Have I missed something out there or not? Yeah, yeah. I worked as a, well, I was a, my first ever job was a lifeguard. Then I went to uni and did sports science. Right. Then I worked as a teaching assistant at school. And then, yeah, then I became the personal trainer. And then I sort of ended up doing the online stuff as a body coach. So, so you're not the biggest lad in the world. What were you like at school? You know, were you, were you good at sport? Were you natural at sport? You know, how were you on the backseat of the bus? Were you in the gang or were you not in the gang? I was always like the skinniest kid. Like I remember just being super skinny and I was good at like athletics and I love running and I played for the football team, but I just loved, I really loved sport and football and just playing any, anything to do with PE. I had a really good relationship with my PE teacher, whereas in other, every other lesson, I had very short attention span, you know, I was very disruptive and I couldn't focus on anything. So I think that was, I actually made a decision really young, early on that I was going to be a PE teacher. That was my goal. I was going to go to university and be a school PE teacher. So it's ironic really in a way that I've come all this way, all this full circle and ended up being, you know, essentially like a PE teacher for the whole of the country. So it was always my vision to like work with children and inspire them to exercise. And that's why I know I'm doing what I'm exactly what I should be doing at this moment in my life. And what were you like in other subjects? Well, I was, I mean, I got, I remember I got eight, eight Bs and two Cs. So like I was, I was an, I was an average student, but I just didn't, I didn't apply myself. They always said, if only you worked hard and if you actually put your, you know, your mind to things and you didn't disrupt everyone and you weren't talking and chatting. I was just like cheeky. I wasn't like a naughty, mean kid, but I was definitely like a class clown, you know, always trying to wind everyone up and, you know, just make people laugh. I think that's probably what I was what I was like in general. And were you good at it? I was good at winding people up. Yeah, I was definitely. And I was, <laughs> you know, like the kid that's like always got his shirt untucked, never got his, you know, always just, just like pushing the boundaries really. And I wasn't like in detention all the time, but I remember, you know, just being, being the one that was always like, you know, being a bit cheeky. But I remember, I remember thinking when I, when I left school, I was thinking, oh, I could have been naughty. Like, I could, I could have done more because I definitely weren't, I did I weren't as naughty as some other kids. And you know, there there aren't any real fitness heroes, I suppose. When you, well, there weren't any. When you are now, but there weren't there weren't any use when you were a kid. So like James Blunt wanted to be in Dire Straits. I know because he told me. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody else. Uh, Gaza always wanted to be George Best. I know because he told me. You know, who did you want to be? What did you? Because you can't want to be a fitness coach when you're 11, can you? I think it was mate, probably like the the closest relationship, like you know, would have been to like my PE teacher, like just, I always, they was quite young. They was like fun. They were always the ones I got on well. So for me, I suppose my role models would have been my PE teachers because I was always like a bit of resistance and friction between like my maths and English and science teachers. But I just knew that I was always the first to get to PE. I was always like rounding everybody up. And I, I do think about that. I was kind of, the, I would always be out there trying to get everyone changed as quick as I could. Like come out, come on, we've got to start and trying to get the most of it. So I was almost, I was almost trying to round everyone up and motivate them even back then. So yeah, but there was no one in the media or any kind of celebrities that I was following. I, I really just wanted to be a 
I wanted to be a school teacher. You know, that was my that was as big as my head could dream at that point. See, that is to hear you say that. That is a revelation to me. The fact that you actually did always want to be the body coach, even at eleven, you were rounding people up for PE. You know, get come on, get changed quicker. We can do more PE, not necessarily football or rugby or cricket or whatever, but PE. So this is this is what you've always wanted to do. That's that's unbelievable. It is. It really is, and I, I I think about that a lot, and that's why you know I didn't work in a school as a PE teacher, but to do the PE with Joe lockdowns and and have all those kids so taking part, and, and to be able to like make them laugh story. and make the parents enjoy it as well. I love that. I love that. How much do you want to talk about? Um, what else was going on in your childhood? Things that you definitely didn't want to do. Do you want to talk about that or not? Yeah, I can talk about that. I've, I've got you know I, I'm proud of my past and you know my relationship with my mum and dad and. You know, I just just like add it, like like anyone. I suppose when when you speak to a lot of people, you know, who've had success, there's they've normally sometimes had a lot of adversity as a kid, and they've something's driven them. You know, something somewhere. And I think you know, my childhood is something we can talk about. Yeah, and I've I've obviously opened up about it on Desert Island. This that was probably the most in depth I've talked about things. Okay, so so what did you see as a kid that you want to talk about? You don't mind talking about? Please don't go there if you don't. What did you see and experience as a kid that you thought I definitely don't want to do that? Well, my dad, so my dad was, you know, my mum and dad had me when they were quite young. My mum was only 17 when she had my brother, Nicky, and she had me at 19. So she was so young, you know, and it was, and then my dad had, you know, battled with drug addiction from a very young age. So he was a, you know, a hard heroin addict. So it was almost, it was always like he was there and then he wasn't, you know, he was in rehab and then he was clean and he would relapse and, you know, just the turmoil and the kind of, just the kind of disruptive, chaotic life that that comes with, you know, like arguing and, I was probably a little bit younger. I don't remember and sort of as much as my older brother, he was a bit older than me. So he's probably got much more kind of memories around what, what happened and what he saw. But, you know, it's just like chaos and uncertainty and un- un- instability, you know. So my mum pretty much raised us and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. You know, she was on benefits and I just remember thinking like it was it was quite, it was hard. But at the same time, I don't have negative, I don't look back and think, oh, I had a really bad childhood. I actually was, ha- I think I was a happy kid. But I was probably angry about the addiction and the drug side of things, but I just bottled that up probably. And in, in a way, I probably used exercise and fitness and, and that to deal, with, to deal with those emotions, I think. I mean, did you ever cross the line yourself? No, I didn't. I had no desire. You know, when I, I remember some of my mates would start drinking beer and started smoking a bit of weed, and I was so nervous because I always thought maybe I'll be an addict if I started that. Maybe if I started smoking weed. My mum always said, like, she really taught us discipline my mum she really taught us about that you know and we saw the damage that drugs did but me and my brother Nicky would never go near it it was one of those I didn't really have a first I've got I first had a drink when I was about 16 but a lot of my friends would have been drinking and smoking weed earlier than that so yeah no I was just I was really worried that if I did it I'd like it and then I'd end up doing harder drugs I think and did you ever hear Bruce Springsteen's Desert Island Discs I have, I have heard of it. Yeah, I, I'm a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. But you'll have to jog my memory about it if you want to, though. Well, it's very similar. It's a very similar um, story to yours, in as much as something we've not talked about yet, which is he, Bruce, is famous for his organisation and his attention to detail. And when he was asked about that, and I think it was Kirsty that asked him about it, but I'm not quite sure. But I've heard him talk about it, and I've read it. I've read it. I've read it. But I've also definitely heard it coming from the horse's mouth. He said. His childhood was so chaotic, so unbearably disorganized, so unbearably unpredictable and fragile that the number one promise that he made to himself, and now I'm paraphrasing, but this is the gist of what he said, the number one thing that he wanted to achieve with his life is to not is to to to, to garner some sense of of um, 
of cosmos, of, of, of order, you know, of security. And for him, that was the most important thing. And if you look back at his career, you know, it's always been that first. And, you know, he's had his challenges. He's talked about mental health um, recently. He just turned 71, hasn't he? He had his book out a couple of years ago. But he said for him that was so important. And when I look at you, and I've always thought this, Joe, always, and I've been fortunate enough to meet you a few times, and I've seen you via my wife's phone because she was a very early adopter of Joe Weeks, which we'll talk about before we end, hopefully. I always thought you were so well turned out. Your attention to detail is, is, is above and beyond. And do you, do you recognise that parallel with what Springsteen was talking about? Yeah, I think, you know, I think our childhood affects us, doesn't it, more than we know. And we can sort of, we all, we all, we, we can all like look back and sort of see where certain decisions were made and like how my character was formed. But I think my mum just, you know, really did raise us well. And she really gave me like, I respected her and I respected rules. And I think when I became an adult, I made a decision that I, I didn't want to go down that route. You know, I didn't want to get involved in it. One thing I'll say though about my child is that even though it was chaotic, there was still love. Like my mum and dad loved us unconditionally. And I always had that feeling of, my mum used to say, you can do anything you want with your life, Joe, and I'll love you. And having that kind of support, you know, because she left home really young and her, her dad left her when she was a you know, little girl and stuff. So she just wanted us to have a... And I think the reason she probably stayed with my dad all those years is because she wanted us to have a dad and she wanted us to have a stable home. And for me now as a parent, you know, it's my goal in life to be there for Rosie, to be faithful and, and loyal and be there for the kids and have a stable home life because when you don't have it, yeah, you really, you want to give your kids that you want to give your kids so much love and so much support. And I, and that's, that is my goal really just to be the best husband and the father that I can be as, as an adult. And also, you know, it, it takes the pressure off really bizarrely, you know, doesn't it? Because if you put your, if you put yourself after others and others before yourself, it's, that's just a different relationship with life. You know, it's much healthier to a point. I mean, you know, not to the detriment of yourself and you've got to make sure you're there to, you're there in the first place to be able to take care of other people. But when you hear your mum, you hear you talking about your mum, it's so, it's so emotional for me. Hear you talk about your mum like that. I can't tell you, don't know why. Well, I, I do know why, because my mum was very similar where I was concerned. But, you know, to, to, to hear your mum obviously putting herself second, third, fourth, if not fifth, even maybe behind your dad, you know, that is something else. And then to, to go back to you sitting down at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, you know, to, to telling, telling her about the MBE. I mean, that's just, that is that is closure, isn't it? Yeah, we laugh about it because like, it's just, and you know, even my success, like we laugh about, it's just because it's mad, you know, even with the book sales and just the house that I live in and, and the, the life that we've all been given. Like we laugh because we had such a, you know, we were on, we just didn't have money. We were always skint. Like I remember always having to like go around my nans and we'd, have to borrow a pint of milk off her and so all these little things we we just think it's mad that i've had this journey and this success and really just from being passionate and i and i, I believe the reason i'm successful is because i'm i'm so purpose-driven I'm, I'm really i'm really purpose-driven for like helping people and reaching as many people as i can and and that i think if i continue on that mission if i keep you know keep keep focused on that then i'll, I'll continue to have a you know a really long career like your jamie oliver's and your gordon rams because these are people that are so passionate and driven to helping people, you know, live healthier and happier. And that's why I know I'm not just one of these, you know, not just an Instagram that's just here for a year and then gone. Like, I, I feel like I've got so much more to offer the world. And I think you will, you will see me in 20, 30 years time still on this mission, I think. 
I think I think to be honest, Jamie and Gordon's blueprint. You know, it's it's not bespoke for you, but it's not a bad one to copy, is it? Because it's you can see it happening. You can see if you look at where Jamie was when he was your age and where you are now. It's not dissimilar. I mean, the mediums mediums have changed, or media has changed, platforms have changed. You know, uh, the way you get your message across is has changed. But it's all about you know, you are a chef, aren't you? You're a, you're a body chef. That's what you're doing. You're you're a TV body chef. Well, I always say I'm not. I say I'm a cook, but I'm definitely not like a trained chef. But I think the success of my books has been because they're so simple. You know, they're they're like anyone can have a go at it, and that's what I've kind of taught that. You know, you can find 15 minutes to cook a recipe, you can find 20 minutes for a workout, and and if you do that, you will be healthier and happier. And that's that's kind of a simple message that people need to hear, really. All right, a couple more things, um, Joe, if you don't mind. Um, we'll talk about my wife in a minute. <laughs> As far as you're but we'll talk about. I met you. your wife at um, Harfest, <laughs> I, didn't I? I know you did. You met her a couple of times. Uh, but let's talk about your wife first. So important in your life. So you're so happy. You're so good for you, mate. Uh, when, when did you first uh, clap eyes on Rosie? Oh well, Rosie is like yeah. I mean, she's she's so such an amazing wife and, and a mum. Like she's she's so incredibly loving and patient and just naturally maternal. Like, I always knew that about her, but to see her with a kid, she really inspires me because I find it difficult, you know, and I look at her and think she's so, she doesn't react. She's so calm. And so it helps me be a better parent and stuff. But she's just, um, she's just like my best mate. She's like, a, she's like a female version of me. Like she loves food. She's loves traveling. You know, she loves the thought of being with someone forever. Like we both have this feeling of like, let's be in love forever. Let's be, you know, let's respect each other and be loyal to each other. And that it's nice to both have that vision of, of what you think love should be. Um, but I met Rosie through a friend of mine. My friend's married to her, one of her best friends. And I met her, at, funnily enough, at a rave, because like, he's a DJ. Um, and yeah, we just sort of became friends and we were texting for a little while and we sort of got to know each other. And then uh, I went to Coachella and we met there and we just had this amazing weekend, like sort of fell in love, if you like. And then ever since, I've just been like, you know, obsessed with her, really. Right. For people who don't know what Coachella is, can you, can you uh, explain what Coachella is, please? Oh, so Coachella is like... a big music festival in california it's kind of like um glastonbury like it's huge and it's this amazing weekend in the desert um so yeah like it's a cool festival we met there and we've been a couple of times and we actually spend a bit of time in la so it's kind of like the place we sort of really started to fall in love if you like like in santa monica and venice and all that so we've got good memories there and who was on can you remember who have you seen at coachella i've never been i'm so jealous oh so i mean Cal- calvin harris was there um we, I think Rihanna was there. There's, I've, I've been three times. It's all a bit of a blur, but um, yeah, it's been an amazing, amazing place to go. And um, I was supposed to go. Well, this year I was supposed to go to Glastonbury, the 50th year anniversary, which I've never been to, which got cancelled. And obviously Coachella. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I am really missing live music, to be honest. Yeah, you love your music. I think I've been to Glastonbury three times. So it's three all. We'll go for the decider hopefully in 2021 if we can. Have you been to Burning Man at all? No, I've had a few friends that said it's like the place to go, but I don't know if I can handle the, um, all the dust and the dirt. I, yeah. like, I like having a nice party before I'm going to have a shower and get into bed. Yeah, no, I hear many things about Burning Man, and uh, I know lots of people who've been, and I've never seen them since. No, I'm joking. Of course, they get to come back. They do. Uh, now, I think my wife, Joe, was pretty pretty early to your to your party. I think she might have been there, I don't know, in the first month or the first few months. Um, you know, And she immediately said, oh, I, I did. She kept you a little secret for a while and you know and then she'd come downstairs and she I said have you just had a shower you know and she'd come down and she'd be dripping sopping wet and it was down to this guy called Joe Wicks 
you know. And um, she, I think she, she must have been within the first year, if not the first six months, if not the first month or two. What was the exponential growth of, 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 your, of the following or your followers like? Well, there's loads of like moments really like there's different sort of things I can think about like the first one on Sunday brunch was amazing and then you know I, I do sort of good morning Britain or this morning and loose women all, all the little moments but I suppose the, the, the growth really just came over just consistency it took years to kind of build that but then obviously when the books came out that took it to another level it kind of made it more of a household thing because before it was just this nutty guy on Instagram throwing food in the pan but then when it became a cookbook it was a physical thing you know I've sold four million cookbooks which is like mind-blowing when you think about i don't have a traditional like tv career where i've built that over years it was just like in it was almost instant like when the books came out so yeah my career's been crazy and i still have to stop and pinch myself when i see what i've actually done and compare it to other other things but yeah it's um it's nice that your wife's done i remember meeting and she was pretty excited which is nice no, she's very excited, and she's still she's you're still her go to guy. I mean, she does she does other workouts. She does boho beautiful and people like that. Um, but you're still you're still the main man, which is just fantastic. Um, your MBE, what happens next? Have you, do you do, do, are you going to pick it up? Do they DHL it round? What happens? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'd love to um, I'd love to say I'm going to get to meet the Queen, but who knows? I don't know what's happening. I just I think they'll send out a bit of information soon, but. You get a medal, I think, don't you? It's a little little medal kind of thing. Joe, I wouldn't know. I've never received one or even been thought of oh, in the same breath as one. Sure. Oh, thanks, Joe. Thanks. So nice of you. So how, how's your mum nowadays? How's the family? What's going on? How is everyone? Is everybody safe? How's, how's COVID been for everyone? Yeah, the family's good. We all live pretty close to each other. So we all, you know, we're all about half an hour away. So we, we get together and, you know, when we can and we have like little dinners and things. But yeah, it's... um. I just, I just, yeah, my family, I'm very close to my family. Like we speak a lot, you know, and that's what I missed the most when we couldn't have the whole, you know, the visitors and things during the, during the intense lockdown period. It was like, I felt really disconnected and, and it doesn't matter, you know, where you live or what's going on or how many followers and whatever's going on. If you don't have little close friends and family nearby, you can feel, you know, really disconnected and quite lonely, but we're, we're communicating like we do a lot of FaceTiming and, because you know I've got they've got the grandkids, so that's I think that's helped. Having grandkids has brought them a lot closer because now like my mum and dad will pop round to see them, and you get to see them more regular. So that definitely helps bringing your family closer together when you have little babies. Yeah, and will there be? Um, can we go to a Wix um, sort of wellness weekend? Uh, is that going to happen? Is there going to be a place where we can go on a regular basis? Will there be a permanent place? Are there going to be restaurants? What's in the pipeline? What's it, what? What can you tell me about? I like the idea of events. I, I, I do like the idea of like fitness events. That'd be quite cool. But I don't think I don't know if I've got the restaurant sort of vibe. I'm, I'm I think I'm so digital with my thinking. You know, I'm always thinking of like global and reaching more people. So I've definitely got um you know big plans for my app. I think my app's going to be great for people that want to train at home. And I think now like the home fitness market is booming, so it's a good time to do it. Um, that's coming out in sort of December time. But the newest thing I'm excited about is I've actually got a new book deal with Harper Collins to do children's books. So I've got. I've got a 10 book deal with Harper Collins, um, which is like massive. So I'm going to do eight children's books and two cookbooks. Right. So, so how will the kids' books manifest themselves? Is it going to be a little Joe? Is it going to be the family? Is it going to be characters that we haven't even been invented yet, or what? So it's a, it's a family essentially, and the, you know I'm trying to share the message around mental health and exercise and fitness. So it's it's fun like picture books. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm just working on the concepts now, but. You know, I've got an amazing editor. She's the editor of um, um, David Williams's book. So, that, you know, he's had such amazing success with, with his stories and just phenomenal. Like, so it's, I've got a really amazing team that helped me. Um, but, yeah, it's exciting because I, I've, I'm so passionate. I read 
books to Indy every single day and Marley and they love it. And it's something that is so important for their learning and just that sense of connection and, and just feeling present. I think they, they really enjoy that. So for me, I'm hoping that I can release a set of children's book that, you know, are really going to bring families together to sit down and enjoy, enjoy reading, but also get that really important message of like, we should exercise, we should eat healthy and all these little messages that young people need to learn as quick as possible, really. So Indian Marley, by the way, great names for kids. Congratulations on that to you and Rosie. But, um, you know, when, when you come up with great names for kids, you know what the deal is? You know what the deal is, Joe? What's the deal? You've got to have more kids. Because if you're really good at coming up with names, uh, the universe says you've got to have more because there have got to be more kids in the world with cooler names. So um, my wife said, always said four. You know, four, four, is a, four is a tribe, man. So, so don't get. Is it how many you've got? Four. Well, I, I actually, we actually have five be, between us and two grandchildren. Wow. But we, we have four sort of homegrown um, Evan Shishmanians. And by the way, you know, four's got its own thing going. They have their own momentums. They sort of, it, they begin to sort of take care of themselves a bit more. You know, and the six of us all together, you know, you've got issues with transportation. <laughs> Everything becomes, it's like... Yeah, what vehicle do you have? Because you like your sports cars. What do you ride, What do you drive with all the kids in there? A VW Caravelle, right, long wheelbase, but with all the camping gear taken out and with sort of swivel chairs put in the back. Because if you get a seven-seater car and you deploy the seats, you can't fit the luggage in. And if you put the luggage in, you can't put the, the, the two extra seats up. So you've got to go for a van. But to qualify for a van, Joe, you've got to have more children. Yeah, you got to have more. Well, I, I definitely think I'll have four or five. So Yay, we've got come on. To go, this is what a great way to end the conversation. And any names already thinking about, you know, any, any not rejects, but any spares for Indian money that you could use <laughs> in the future? <laughs> any rejects? I don't know, actually. Um, well, I, I forget Rosie has, got, has a little list on her phone that she keeps. Uh, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. I kind of, um, she's always got the creative ones, but I, I love I love their names. Yeah, they're cute, okay. cute little babies. Well, that's good. From what you've just said and the fact that Rosie has a little list of spare future children's names on her phone, I think the writing is on the wall. In which case, Joe, I won't keep you any longer because you're busy <laughs> enough as it is. <laughs> Oh, busy man. Yeah, no, I'll let you know. Well, there's no babies on the way yet, but I will let you know. You'll, you'll get the scoop. I'll give you the first first dibs on it. Okay, Joe, you're awesome. Thanks for your time, pal. Thank you so much, man. I've really enjoyed our chat, and thanks for having me on as a guest. All right, mate. You're very welcome. That was myself in conversation on how to wow with the brilliant Joe Wicks. He's 35. I think he's got the world at his feet, and he deserves it. Because A, he will never stop being grateful for it, and B, he can be of such service to so many other people, which is always what he's wanted to do ever since he wanted to be a PE teacher from the age of 11. Nobody wants to be a PE teacher at the age of 11. That's why he's so damn good at it. This has been How to Wow. Today brought to you by MS Plant Kitchen Duck Wrap, a delicious combination of roasted soy protein cooked in a sweet, tangy hoisin sauce, shredded cucumber, and spring onion. I've already had one and it's still making my mouth water just describing it again. Packed with flavour, it makes a tasty lunch on the go. You genuinely can't taste the difference from the iconic original. Plus, the Plant Kitchen Hazelnut Chocolate Spread. You just need a spoon, really. Here I go. You just need a spoon and a tongue. They need to put that on the, on the, um, on the packaging. Bye. Oh, please rate and subscribe.